Welcome back, Wanderers! We continue our exploration of Akalabaith, or the Downfall of Numenor, in a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published in 1977 after his death. A link to purchase The Silmarillion is in the show notes. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Minolod. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Today's episode date is July 21st. We are 43 days away from the debut of Amazon's Rings of Power series. On this day, Middle Earth, in the year 2941, Bilbo and the dwarves catch a ride with the eagles to the Karak before traveling to Bjorn's house. This is adapted from the Today Middle-Earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Let's check the map. These map checks are inspired by the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books, and I hope give you the context for today's story. If none of this makes sense, please listen to a few previous episodes and catch back up. It is the Second Age of Middle-Earth. The Kingdom of Numenor has been established on the star-shaped island as a gift to the faithful men who sided with the Valar and helped the elves in the First Age. Elros was the first king, was blessed with 500 years of life, and his descendants are also blessed with long life. The Numenorians are great sailors, but the Valar forbid them from sailing into the west, where dwell the undying lands. The Numenorians are content with this ban, yet their fear of death and desire to prolong their life even more is growing in their hearts. The people are of two factions, one, the king's men, who seek to prolong their life and rebel against the Valar, and the faithful, who still revere and obey the Valar, yet are still troubled by the thought of death. As the kingdom of Numenor grew in power, might, and wealth, back in Middle-earth, a foe has arisen, Sauron. Yes, that servant of Morgoth, since nearly the beginning of creation, has slowly rebuilt his power in Middle-earth during the Second Age. He has chosen the land of Mordor for his evil doings, having fortified the land and built the great tower Barad-dûr. His goal? Not much different than in the Third Age, what we see in the books and movies, that is, total domination. He has been busy, rebuilding his realm and armies, attempting to deceive the elves, collaborating with Celebrimbor to create the Nine and Seven Rings of Power, and then his own One Ring, and finally waging war against the elves in the north. We'll get to all those tales in another episode. But Sauron hated the Numenorians, quote, because of the deeds of their fathers. So what were these deeds of their fathers that caused Sauron to hate them so much? One such deed was an alliance between the Numenorians and Gilgalad, High King of the Noldor, when after the One Ring had been forged, Sauron had marched on the elves and nearly destroyed them, but for the help of the faithful Numenorians. After his initial defeat in the north, Sauron learns that the Numenorians had grown powerful and wealthy, and his hate deepens even more. But I think even deeper than Sauron's hate for the Numenorians reaches back into the First Age. For the Numenorian royalty was descended from Elros, who was descended from Luthien. And it was Luthien, thousands of years before, who had rescued Baron from the depths of Sauron's dungeons. Luthien was the only elf to ever stand up to Sauron, and not only did she defeat him, she utterly humiliated him, even threatened to strip away his body so that his spirit would have to stand naked with shame in Morgoth's halls for the rest of time. For a refresher on that story, listen to episode 23. 
So Sauron's hatred for Luthien, Baron, Elros, and their descendants is fueled by humiliation and revenge. But Sauron is, quote, ever guileful. And he had nine rings of power that he could use to ensnare the hearts of men. And of the nine Nazgul, quote, it is said, three were great lords of Numenorean race. The Numenorians, for their part, were growing in their rebellion against the Valar, and scoffed at the so-called gift of death. The kings no longer took names in the High Elvish, and the white tree Nimloth was untended. The elves, who still secretly visited the faithful, were labeled as spies of the Valar. Of all the houses of noble lords that counseled the king, one was held in highest honor. These were the lords of the western region of Numenor, being descended from Samarian, daughter of the fourth king of Numenor. So while this house of lords wasn't in the royal bloodline, they were still descendants of Elros, and thus were among the chief counselors to the king. When the rebellion against the Valar started to grow, this noble house stayed true to the Valar, and aided the faithful as they were able to do. A king of Numenor wed with a lady of this noble house, though she was secretly a member of the faithful. They had two sons. The elder was more like his mother, and so was partial to obeying the Valar. When this son ascended to the throne, he took the High Elvish name Tar Palantir, quote, for he was far-sighted both in eye and in mind. You'll note that his Elvish name, Tar Palantir, is the same word used to describe the seeing stones that are used for observing and communicating long distances. Tar Palantir tried to repent of the Numenorean's rebellious ways. He began to offer the prayers to Eru at the top of Meneltarma, which I described last episode. He tended with honor to the white tree Nimloth again, even giving a prophecy saying that, quote, when the tree perished, then also would the line of the kings come to its end. This prophecy by Tar Palantir is demonstrated in Peter Jackson's Return of the King. Watch carefully, and you'll notice that when Pippin first sees the tree in the court at Minas Tirith, it is bare and dry. Pippin even saw it burning when he looked into the Palantir. But during Aragorn's coronation, when the people of Gondor kneel to the hobbits, you see the tree is full of blossoms. Why? Because the king has returned, and the line will continue. In the book, Gandalf takes Aragorn into the mountains above Minas Tirith, and Aragorn is lamenting that he has no queen to further the line of kings for Gondor. As a token of this, he says, quote, The tree in the court of the fountain is still withered and barren. When shall I see otherwise? He then finds and plants a sapling white tree, and when it begins to bear fruit, Aragorn says, quote, The sign has been given, and the day is not far off. He, of course, is watching for Arwen, whom he will wed, and together they will restart the line of kings. In all these acts of penance, Palantir was ever opposed by his brother. Even so, his brother died at 198 years old, quote, which was accounted an early death for one of Elros's line, even in its waning. The death of his brother brought no peace to Palantir, for Palantir's nephew, Farazon, was even, quote, more restless and eager for wealth and power than his father. Farazon had been a leader among the navies and armies of Numenor as they waged war against the men of Middle-earth. He brought back much wealth and gave it away freely. Therefore, the hearts of the people were turned towards him rather than Palantir. Palantir grew weary and died, but left no son, only a daughter, Miriel. Thus, she was the rightful and lawful ruler of Numenor. Miriel is a known character in the new Rings of Power series. The shots that we've seen of her look absolutely stunning. Golden headdresses, luscious robes. It's easy to see that she is a powerful queen of a rich and mighty nation. But standing not too far from her in the latest trailer is Farazon. For, quote, Farazon took her to wife against her will. Doing evil in this, and evil also in that the laws of Numenor did not permit the marriage. But our Farazon, the Golden, cared not for the law, only his own power, and made himself king of Numenor. Of all the kings, he was, quote, the mightiest and proudest. Our Farazon, quote, brooded darkly, thinking of war, 
once he learned that Sauron had been growing his realm in Middle-earth, even attacking the coastal settlements of the Numenorians. Arfadazon became jealous of the title that Sauron had given himself, King of Men, and Sauron spoke openly of his purpose to drive the Numenorians away from Middle-earth and even destroy the whole kingdom. So Alfardazon built up a great store of weapons and ships of war. In the year 3261 of the Second Age, he came out of the west, quote, and men saw his sails coming up out of the sunset, dyed as with scarlet. The might of his navy was so great that all fled before them. They landed at Umbar. This area is a bay to the south of the great bay of Belfalas, which is south of the kingdom of Gondor. Traveling seven days inland, Arfadazon sets up a tent, arrays his army, and demands that Sauron come forth and, quote, swear to him fealty. And Sauron came. But he didn't come prepared for battle, for he saw that the strength of the Numenorians was too great for his servants, and that his time to achieve his purpose was not yet. Quote, and he was crafty, well-skilled to gain what he would by subtlety when force might not avail. Not for nothing was he later known as Sauron the Deceiver. Sauron surrenders to Arfadazon, swearing oaths of fealty, but the king, not yet deceived, thinks it would be better to take Sauron back to Numenor so that he can keep a close eye on him, one of those keep your friends close, put your enemies closer sort of a thing. But this was exactly what Sauron wanted. When Sauron arrives in Numenor, quote, he was astounded, but his heart within was filled the more with envy and hate. Sauron's reaction to the splendor of Numenor reminds me of Morgoth's reaction when he was released from his first captivity in the First Age, all the way back in chapter 6 of the Silmarillion. And Morgoth is filled with the envy for the glory of the Valar, hatred for the elves, and lust for the gems and wealth around him. And he, quote, postponed his vengeance. Like his master, Sauron postpones his vengeance. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Less than three years. That's all it took for Sauron to go from being humiliated and paying homage to Arfadazon to becoming the king's closest and most trusted advisor. Quote, For flattery sweet as honey was ever on his tongue, and knowledge he had of many things, yet unrevealed to men. I should also note that at this time, Sauron could take the fair form of a handsome man. Not until later would he be limited to an evil, dark lord, brooding, and powerful type of a look. So don't imagine in your mind Sauron walk around in black armor, taller than everyone else but rather a charmer, a handsome conman, perhaps like Marvel's Loki, if you will. Please forgive the second reference to Sauron as Loki, but it's a fair resemblance, I think. Seeing that Sauron had the king's ear in all matters, the other lords and advisors, quote, fawn upon him, except one, the faithful lord Amandil of that noble house of lords. The faithful were called rebels, and Sauron began to teach the opposite of everything the Valar had ever said to men, claiming that way out west was an ancient darkness and that this darkness, quote, alone is worshipful, for the lord of that darkness could grant gifts and increase of power that had no end. When asked who the lord of darkness is, Sauron lies, saying, quote, it is he whose name is not now spoken, for the Valar have deceived you concerning him. 
putting forward the name of Edu, a phantom, devised in the folly of their hearts, seeking to enchain men in servitude to themselves. His name is Melkor, Lord of all, giver of freedom, and he shall make you stronger than they. Wow, what a bold-faced lie from a being who was there in the beginning, who even served a member of the Valar, Aule, for a time, before turning to the evil of Morgoth. Oh, and notice that Sauron calls him Melkor, his original name, rather than the title that Feanor gave him, Morgoth, meaning the foe of the world. Believing Sauron's lie, Arfadazon worships the dark. Menaltarma, the holy mountain, dedicated to the worship of Iluvatar, was completely forgotten. And even Sauron did not dare, quote, to defile that high place. Ascending to the summit was a crime punishable by death. Sauron encouraged Arfadazon to cut down the white tree, for he, being of the Maiar, knew the ancestry of Nimloth, and that the tree was a, quote, memorial of the Eldar and of the light of Valinor. Yet Arfadazon, ironically, feared to cut it down, lest the prophecy of Tar-Palantir be true. But a few faithful still remained, led by Amandil, his son Elindil, and his two sons Isildur and Anarion. Wait, Elindil, Isildur? Those names should sound familiar to anyone familiar with Aragorn's tale. Aragorn is often referred to as the heir of Elindil or Isildur, and he carries the sword of Elindil, which Isildur used to cut the ring from Sauron's hand. But we're getting ahead of ourselves for now. Amandil fears for the tree, and speaks to his son and grandsons of the trees of Eleanor. Now what happens next is a great tale, and I think redeems the story of Isildur, who often gets a really bad rap. Sure, he had the chance to destroy the One Ring, and he claimed it for himself and allowed Sauron to return, but before that moment he dared many valiant deeds. Probably the most significant is this one. Hearing of the two trees, Isildur said no word, but disguised himself and went on alone to the place of the tree. Though that court was, quote, forbidden to all by the orders of Sauron, Isildur snuck past the guards and, quote, took from the tree a fruit that hung upon it. The guards were aroused, and Isildur received many wounds fighting his way out, but he was not discovered due to his disguise. The faithful plant the fruit in secret, and from it a shoot sprouted in the spring, thus preserving the ancient line of trees. Finally, Arfadazon yields to Sauron, and the white tree Nimloth is cut down. Seeing that he basically has control of the kingdom, Sauron caused a great temple to be built. The temple was built in a 500-foot-wide circle, the walls being 500 feet high and 50 feet thick, with a great silver dome to cap it. But the dome didn't remain silver for long, for Sauron ordered the white tree Nimloth to be burned in the temple, and fires burned there ever after, so that the silver dome soon turned black from smoke. The power of Sauron over the people continued to increase, even daily, as blood sacrifices were offered to Melkor, so that, quote, he should release them from death. More often, the faithful were sacrificed in this wicked place, allegedly because they would not worship Melkor. There's a great quote by Gandalf that I want to share here. This is in The Return of the King, as Gandalf is saving Faramir from being burned alive by his father. Gandalf says to Denethor, quote, Only the heathen kings, under the domination of the dark power, did thus, slaying themselves in pride and despair murdering their kin to ease their own death. Now, is Gandalf referring to the Numenorean kings as heathen? I couldn't say. But it's clear to see that he attributes the practice of burning and human sacrifice to being under the dominion of the dark power. Despite all these efforts, quote, death did not depart from the land. Rather, it came sooner and more often, and in many dreadful guises. They formed weapons again, and would kill each other for little cause. Under Sauron's direction, they, quote, devised engines, built bigger ships, and attacked Middle-earth, killing and enslaving as they would. Arfadazon, quote, grew to be the mightiest tyrant, though in truth Sauron ruled all from behind the throne. 
And as the king's life waned, and he despaired evermore of his approaching death, Sauron delivered his final blow. He flattered the king, recalling his strength and power, and said that he should, quote, be subject to no command or ban, even a ban to sell west that came from the Valar. But more on that next time. Thanks for listening. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.